Matthew 13, 3 through 9 says this. He said many things to them in parables. A farmer went out to scatter seed. As he was scattering seed, some fell on the path, and birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where the soil was shallow. They sprouted immediately because the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it scorched the plants, and they dried up because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorny plants. The thorny plants grew and choked them. Other seed fell on good soil and bore fruit. In one case, a yield of 100 to 1. In another case, a yield of 60 to 1. And in another case, a yield of 30 to 1. Everyone who has ears should pay attention. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Let's give him another round of applause just for being with us. Um, I'm so thankful for all that Nick does. And when I was hearing all of the things he does, I thought, wow, man, I just work on Sundays. So speaking of working on Sundays, who remembered the uh, time change? Most of you, you're here. So I can see you did. That means I get to preach a whole nother hour. So settle in. So um, we are in a new sermon series called It's Complicated. You could tell the emojis now. Um, do, do you guys catch that reference? It's a social media reference. And, and so it used to be this thing you'd see all the time uh, when you would see people putting their status online, specifically relationship status they, they could put a lot of things. You could say you're married. You could say you're single. And sometimes if things were a little in between, you might say it's complicated. And this is a whole sermon series we're doing about relationships. Now, this is not a, it's not a relationship series just about relationships with between spouses or romantic relationship. This is about all of our relationships, all of our relationships with, with the world around us. And who can give me an amen that relationships are complicated? Right? Now, now we are, we're in this time of year where actually we're, we're, we have an opportunity to create some new relationships uh, that might not otherwise happen in our neighborhoods. Who here went out for Halloween in your neighborhood? Who here handed out candy in your neighborhood? Handed out some candy? So I, we, we handed out candy. I did not hand out as much as I thought I would. Um, I, I mean, a lot of kids came to our house, uh, but their outfits were terrible. And, and I'm not going to give a kid candy if they're not even trying. I'm kidding. I'm, that, that was a joke. We did hand out candy to everybody, even the terrible outfits. So this is a time, though, where we're we can actually get to know our neighbors in a way that we can't usually, you usually don't go to your neighbor's house and ask for candy, do you? But it's an opportunity for you to go around and meet some of the folks that, that you don't usually get a chance to say hello to, or, or you don't take the time to go say hello to. So this is one of those times where, where relationships might be in focus in a way that they usually aren't. Now, we're going to be spending the next couple of weeks talking about this, but just by way of introduction, we want to talk a little bit about the investment of relationships. Now, I want you to think for a second, before we get started into this, of think for a moment of when you got a piece of advice in your life, somebody gave you some advice, and 
you can look back years later and say, I really wish I would have taken that advice. Can anybody think of an example of that in your life? I'm getting some nodding heads. And may, maybe it's like, uh, I, for, for some of you, maybe, maybe you had friends who saw a relationship that you were starting that said, no, this isn't the right person for you, and you wish you would have taken that advice. Or, or maybe it's a more of a professional thing. Um, I, I got a question for you. Who here can tell me the names of the people that founded Apple? You can shout, shout it out loud. Okay. Steve Jobs? There's, there's, there's more than Steve Jobs? Wozniak, which I think is a great name. It sounds like an insult. Yeah, Wozniak. Um, so does anybody know another name? You probably don't, but there were three founders of Apple. Did you know that? Uh, there's a name you probably uh, have never heard and you might not remember after today. Ronald Gerald Wayne. Ring a bell with anybody? He was the third founder of Apple. Now, he was, along with these two young guys, the, uh, Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs, he helped to found Apple. Now, he was the older guy in the group, the guy who actually had some business experience, some entrepreneurial experience. Now, here's the thing. So, so he joined the company, and, and he had experience. He uh, knew what he was doing, but then it started to get real, Okay, they were starting to make products, and they were starting to have to put some skin in the game. They were having to put some money behind it. And he, uh, the, this gentleman, I had to look down at his name again because I didn't remember it. Ronald Gerald Wayne, he had a history of he, he had done some businesses that hadn't worked out. Specifically, he had been in the business of uh, gambling machines. He had done uh, slot machines and had experienced some real failure when he had to put some money in as an investment. Now, it came time where Apple was starting to have to put some money in to create the products they were making, and he cashed out. He cashed out. Do you want to know how much his stake was that he cashed out for? $8,000. He was an equal owner, and he cashed out for $8,000. Oh, my goodness. Do you think he would go back and change that? Couldn't, wouldn't you wish you could go back and give that guy some advice that maybe it was a risky investment, but it's worth it. It's worth it. And boy, would it have been worth it. Can you think over your life of something that seemed like a risky investment, but when you look back, it's worth it? Well, there is an investment that historians, psychologists, physicians, and religious leaders really all agree about that actually pays out a bigger dividend than, than any monetary example can. And that's the risky investment of what we call human relationships. Now, <clears throat> I want to talk about, for a second uh, about some evidence for this. Um, there was a, a Harvard grant study that was started in 1938. Some of you have probably heard about this. And it's a study where they took 268 sophomores. And what they did was they followed them for years and years and years, okay? They followed them, and they wanted to see a, a lot of different outcomes, but what they wanted to find out was a, a lot of things about life and longevity. Now, when they were able to spend a little bit of time looking at the data, now, it lasted on and on and on, and actually, it's still going on, but just a, a handful of the people are still around. But one of the things that they did was they... 
they were looking at their lives for outcomes, and it had to change hands. The people that were running the, the program had to change over several times because they passed away. Now, one of the things they wanted to find out was what is the greatest predictor of physical health and longevity? And here's the interesting thing, was that after years and years and years, the greatest indicator of your physical longevity was not your running or your eating or any of that stuff. It was the quality of your relationships. The quality of your relationships was actually a better indicator than what you ate or how much exercise you got or how much sleep you got. If you, had vi if you have vital interpersonal relationships, you have a much better chance of being healthy into your 90s. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? That, that means that this idea, this, this investment into physical relationships is actually, although it's risky, a very good investment, right? Now, we can understand that from a psychological perspective. We can understand it as data on a, a sheet of paper, but relationships are hard, aren't they? No amens? Relationships are hard, aren't they? Especially as we get older. Have you tried to, to make a friendship lately? Some people do. Some, some people are brave. It is, it is really, really strange, especially when you get to a certain age. I read a tweet that I thought was hilarious that talked about this, and I want to put this tweet up. No one talks about Jesus' miracle of having 12 close friends in his 30s. Right? I mean, that's so true. It's hard to keep and maintain close relationships. And, and it's hard to create them, but it's also hard to keep them and keep them vital. And I think because it is risky. I think all of us have been through a time when, when we've had a relationship that has turned on us, right? Maybe it's a fam family relationship where some trust was broken. Maybe it's a marriage relationship or, or a romantic relationship that just went south, went the wrong way, and, and, and it was irreconcilable. Maybe it's a friend that you had for years and you drifted apart, and, and somehow a lot of us can get bitter, we can get burned, and we think, is it really worth it? Is it really worth the investment? Now, I want to go back to the scripture that I had Nick read at the beginning. I'm going to reread it because what I want to do is I want to frame this a little different. And I must admit, the way I'm going to frame this, I stole from another pastor, a friend of mine named Chris Abel, who allowed me to use his interpretation because I really found this to be key to our understanding of our relationship with God. Now, I want to read this again from Matthew 13, 3 through 9. He said many things to them in parables. A farmer went out to, to uh, scatter seed. As he was scattering seed, some fell on the path, and birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where the soil was shallow. They sprouted immediately because the soil wasn't deep. But when the sun came up, it scorched the plants. They dried up because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorny plants. The thorny plants grew and choked them. Other seed fell on good soil and bore fruit, in one case, a yield of 100 to 1. In another case, a yield of 60 to 1. And in another case, a yield of 30 to 1. Everyone who hears should pay attention. Now, I've heard this preached, and it's a story that is in 
three gospels. Okay, those are called the synoptic gospels. There's four stories in the Bible that tell us Jesus' life story, and three of them are very similar, and they call those the synoptic gospels. This story is in all three. And the, most of the time when I've heard this preached, the focus is on the seeds. The focus, and, and Jesus actually later on in this passage explains this and, and talks about the seeds as being uh, people and how, they, how we can grow or how people can be choked out by all sorts of circumstances. Um, but what I want to do is I want to think for a second another way, a different perspective about this. Who is the farmer? You can shout it out. Louder. God, yes. God is the farmer. And here's something that, 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 that my friend Chris had brought up to, to me that I had never thought about before. Does, does the farmer only care about the seed that's over here or over here or over here? Now, the farmer knows that some of the seed is going to grow up, right? Sprout up more than the other. But doesn't the farmer water all the seeds no matter what happens? Doesn't the farmer give just as much attention over to the seeds that he knows are not going to blossom, the seeds that aren't going to come up? I mean, here's the amazing thing to me. We sang this song a little earlier about the reckless love of God. Did you know that God would pour out his love on you? whether or not you decide to return that love. Now that sounds like a scary proposition. It's a scary thing to tell somebody you love them, right? Why? Why is that a scary thing? Any ideas? You might not get it back. Here's what, what I think is so fascinating about this scripture, is that God pours into us his love knowing he won't get it back. God pours love into you knowing that it will go, it will be unreturned. It will be unrequited, but God pours love into people regardless. That is scary. That looks like somebody who is ready to get hurt. But that's what God does for you. God invests love in you even if you are never going to return it. And that is an amazing thing, and that's why we call that a reckless love, right? Because there's something on the line. There's skin in the game. There's some pain that could be received. And we serve a God that really loves us so much that even if it goes unrequited, he's still going to pour into us. He's still going to chase us down even if we keep running away. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about? Isn't that an amazing thing to think about, that God chases after you even if you keep running away? You can never run so far that God's not going to come after you. And that's a risky thing for God to do. He's pouring out. He invests in all of us even when he knows that some of us aren't going to love back. See, what God knows is the simple truth that we would be it would be good for us to understand this, and I want you to catch this. Your relationships will determine the quality and the direction of your life. I want you to get that. Your relationships will determine the quality and the direction of your life. Now, we can see this in the teachings of Jesus as well. In fact, the summation of Jesus' teachings that we get from the New Testament come from Matthew 22. 
And I'm going to read this. It's a very, very well-known passage of Scripture. Um, it says this. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Let me stop right there for a second. When they say the law, what they're talking about, they, these, are the old, these are the teachers of the law in Jesus' age or the religious leaders at the time, the Pharisees and Sadducees. Sadducees. What they are doing is they're trying to trap Jesus because they want Jesus to give them a law because they lived their life according to rules and rituals. Okay, That was what religion looked like to them. That was how they lived. It was according to the rule book of the Old Testament. Okay, And they're asking him about what is the greatest commandment. And they're trying to trap him. If he says one thing, they, they, they know that they can argue against him. They can call him a heretic and they can, they can crucify him. So here's what he replies. You must love the Lord your God with all of your hearts, with all of your being, and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself. And, and I want you to hear this next part, and I want you to understand how mind-blowing this would have been at the time and really how mind-blowing it should be to you right now. All the law and the prophets depend upon these commands. Okay, here's what Jesus just did. He just blew up everything they knew about religion at the time. What Jesus said was, you count on rules, you count on rituals. And what Jesus said is, the rules don't matter. What matters is relationship. The rules don't matter. What matter is relationship. And actually, the rules are just set up to lead you into a relationship. And what are the most important relationships? First, it's your relationship with God. Now, why does that come first? Can't we just love each other? Well, here's the thing. Once we know this kind of reckless love, this kind of love that, that showers down on those who are going to love God in return or not, that's when we can afford to make that risky investment in the people around us. Once we've learned true love, we can love truly. Once we've learned true love, we can love truly. Because the relationships that we make will determine the quality and the direction of our lives. Jesus was saying that, that this whole thing, it's, it's not about the rules, it's about the relationship. And that actually, the scariest thing that, that we, ha we have to fear is isolation. I, I love what, what C.S. Lewis, um, in, in his book, The Great Divorce, Sean, Sean, I've been talking with uh, Pastor Sean about this because he's taking a C.S. Lewis class right now at seminary. But The Great Divorce is basically C.S. Lewis um, writing on heaven and hell. On heaven and hell. And he has a really interesting viewpoint on hell. Uh, and and uh, basically, in The Great Divorce, hell is depicted as an endless great town with millions and millions of houses where everybody is constantly moving farther and farther away from each other because they can't stand to be around one another. That's an interesting vision of hell, right? They're nasty people, and they don't like each other, and they're consumed with themselves. But, but check this out. I love this. This is so profound. When you widen the lens, though, in, in The Great Divorce, when you widen the lens, you see that the millions of miles of gray town is actually just one crack in heaven's sidewalk. It's so tiny that, that C.S. Lewis actually says 
that if the misery of hell could be bundled up, it wouldn't even be one of uh, it wouldn't even give one of heaven's birds indigestion. It's so tiny relative to everything else. See, he's trying to show us that solidity, firmness, and the reality of heaven over the thinness, the decay, and the movement towards nothingness of hell. See, hell is disconnection. And heaven is our connectedness. Hell is our connectedness because our relationships are going to determine the quality and the direction of our lives. So I, I want you to do this. I'm going to invite our, our band back up the stage, and, and we're going to enter into uh, a moment where we're going to be taking the Lord's communion together. But I want you to do this for me. Unless you're in the band, I don't want you to close your eyes while you're walking up because you'll trip on the, on the stairs. But if you would, just close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to think for a moment about the reckless love that God poured out for us that God poured out for you and I. Specifically, in the sacrifice of what Jesus has done. That he gave his life up for us as a sacrifice. He died a death so that we would not have to die. And so that we could have an eternal and abiding relationship with our Savior. And that's why we come to this table. It's both an act of confession saying that, God, we are sinners in need of a Savior. But it's also a call to relationship, a relationship with a God who gave everything for us. And it's a call to turn outward, to join in relationship with those around us. We have known true love so we can love truly.